Welcome to Stream Theory. I'm Jackson, and on the line we have, fresh off of his Irish vacation, Thomas Flight. Hello, hello. Uh, you just came back from Ireland. We we talked about I it did. before we started recording. Well, I guess it's on yeah. it's on recording, but uh, it's been recording before we started the show officially. But yeah, I was there for a week, just kind of driving around, and it was a beautiful place. Um, I'm thinking I might make a video about it because uh, it's a weird location where like tons of stuff has been filmed there. That's where they shot Game of Thrones, right? They shot a ton of Game of Thrones stuff there. Um, the the cliffs of insanity from Princess Bride are like the cliffs of Moher there, which is like one of the biggest tourist attractions. Uh, the house they shot the movie The Lobster in is there. Um, tons of stuff. Uh, the island at the end of or like the beginning of The Last Jedi that like oh sweet uh what's his name luke lives on is like an island there right off the coast so there's all this stuff they shoot a ton of stuff there but the the actual filmmaking community in ireland is like doesn't exist like if you look for movies that are made by irish people in ireland about ireland they, there's like none have you ever seen that uh it was a video essay by by every frame of painting about vancouver yes. Yeah, uh, is it Vancouver or Toronto? It's Vancouver because he's from Vancouver. Vancouver never yeah. plays itself. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm thinking I might do some kind of like take on that format, but about Ireland because I shot some stuff while I was there too. So we'll see. I don't know. Does that great Irish director not direct, shoot her stuff there? Uh, Lynn Ramsey? I don't think she, I think you were never really here was shot in America and where was Kevin shot? I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Maybe some of her earlier stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, to be honest, that's the only stuff I've seen is her, yeah. her early stuff like rat catcher and, uh, it's called small deaths. Yeah. And, uh, I remember those, those movies just really stand out in my memory because it is impossible to understand what the hell they're saying. Yeah. Their accents are so Rat strong. That was shot in uh the UK. Okay. So So nearby. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> and then there's like there's movies that are about Ireland, but a lot of them are made by like British people or like it's weird. It's very strange. And there there's obviously some movies, but they're just none of them are like big movies that most people would recognize. I wonder if I wonder if Dairy Girls is shot in Ireland. I think so. Yeah, they shoot it in, in Belfast there. and Derry. All right. Okay. Yeah. So something so is something. shot there and takes place there. Right. We got we got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, if you're if you're interested in this, keep an eye out for I might do a deep dive into filming in Ireland and why there's nothing there but so much at the same time. Yeah, that actually sounds super interesting. But unfortunately, we are not here to talk about Ireland. No, uh, we're here to talk about exotic birds. Um, exotic. Uh, I I saw today birds referred to as aerial fauna, and that's and that's what we should call NBC Universal's yeah. <laughs> new streaming service, uh, the Peacock, the Peacock, or maybe it's just Peacock. I've, I think I've seen it both peacock. ways. I, yeah, I like aerial fauna. Um, that's a good way to refer to it. Um, NBC Universal. I guess, I guess a peacock isn't very aerial, though. No, they're too good. I think they can fly. They're just too good to fly. Yeah. I didn't really expect this to be a uh, an avian podcast, but uh, <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. Um, so NBC Universal announced that they will be launching their own streaming service in April 2020. So uh, uh, just six short months away, and they've kind of been hinting that they're going to create one for 
some time now. They've officially announced it. They've officially announced the name. The name might sound random, but it's actually a reference to their logo, which is those those colors that go across. Yes, I uh, I didn't realize that at first, and I was like, "What the heck? What is with this name?" But I absolutely would sense. not have known that if I wasn't such a Thirty Rock stan, and they make a ton of <laughs> peacock jokes. Um, there's an episode of Thirty Rock where uh, Alec Baldwin's mentor he thinks that he he's reincarnated as a peacock that follows him around, um, and it is it's very funny. Um, anyways, so the peacock has been announced. It's going to be both advertising and subscription supported. So kind of the same way you can get Hulu, where it's either with ads or just the pure, you know, no ads streaming service. Is the ads version free? I don't know. That's a great question. I would assume not since no, like nobody's doing that currently. So, yeah, I would assume not. And the one thing about Peacock that hasn't been announced is any of the pricing. They haven't announced right. any pricing whatsoever. They've said that they're going to hold off on that until it gets closer to release date. That's something that we've been seeing with some of these services is that they like to play that close to the chest so that they can or close to the vest so that they can. They have one press cycle where it's this thing is happening. Here's all the th- stuff that's going to be on it. And there's kind of some buzz about it. And then they get another press bump when they announce the price Uh, that happened with Disney Plus didn't happen with HBO Max, but it happened with Apple Apple TV, which uh, was very unfortunate because they announced the price right as we were recording our first episode. (laughs) Literally, while we were recording it, it it came out seconds after we finished. So four ninety nine a month, which which seems like a very un Apple move. Anyone who's familiar with Apple you know, even in the slightest would knows that they're very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're notoriously inexpensive <laughs> with all their products. Um, so for them to basically like come in and undercut pricing on everything, even Disney plus, which we thought was an undercut. Yeah. seems like a weird move to me. And in a way it doesn't make me feel very good about the potential of this service because it kind of seems like I, I, I don't use an Apple computer primarily right now, but I was an Apple guy for a long time and so i followed their stuff a lot over the years and it seems like like a price like that like almost to me says like apple is not very confident in the content that's about to come out like it it feels like they would have priced it higher if um felt like it was going to be really good uh so i don't know i don't know what that price means maybe maybe it's just apple being different than they've been in the past but one of the items that we didn't get to for the first episode was was a story that you had about apple tv and how they yes. or apple plus is it apple plus or apple tv apple tv plus i had i had two halves yeah. of a whole um, <laughs> but you had a story about them if you want to if you want to just talk about that that kind of you seem to be kind of low on the apple tv plus experience yeah i'm i'm very kind of skeptical of how this would this is going to go even though i'm an apple fan and i think it's just because maybe like i know the way apple operates with things like they like to do things their way that just seems like a, an awkward slash maybe bad combo for producing content like they're just stepping brand new into a thing and if they have all their you know weird approach to how they want to do things it just seems like a like it might be an awkward mix with producing content um but one of the one of the signs that this might be the case is they've already canceled a show their service isn't even out 
the show wasn't even fully produced and they already canceled it because of quote like creative differences and it was a show about guys who go on a shooting spree and i'm just like how did this even get greenlit by them in the first place yeah on the one hand you're kind of like yeah that should be canceled <laughs> right yes yes and and they've they've kind of stated they they've used the phrase like they want to make aspirational tv or they've talked about how they want their content to be kind of family friendly or it's clear that they're orienting themselves as more of like you're going to have family friendly content. I don't think anything will be like rated R, quote unquote, or the TV equivalent of that. So it's like, how did you let this happen that you greenlit a show that you then had to immediately cancel before your service is even out? It just seems like maybe there's a little bit of a haphazard or may, even if it's not haphazard, they just may not quite uh, know what exactly they're getting themselves into. Um, and it seems like their approach is just like, oh, we're just going to throw a bunch of money at getting names people recognize and then expect that that's going to be something people want. Yeah. And Apple, Apple, T Apple has a huge disadvantage that these other streaming services don't have in that, you know, whether it's Disney or Netflix or Hulu or NBC Universal or HBO, they've all been making TV and content for years. Yeah. And this is not only Apple jumping into streaming, but just jumping into content in general. I'm kind of an NBA super fan. And every time there's a new owner for a team, they make tons of mistakes and they're all super predictable. Like they're going to overpay bad players or make yeah. bad investments. And it's kind of just comes with the territory of being a new owner because they've been so successful in whatever because they have to have made billions of dollars in order to buy an NBA team in the first place. Right, right. In the same way that Apple has made tons of money in their own space. Now they're entering into a totally different field. And I think that it's totally reasonable to see them make a ton of, you know, quote unquote, new owner mistakes. The question yeah. is, with everything becoming so heated at the moment, with all of these streaming services being launched, is are they going to be able to figure it out fast enough? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And even even like Netflix, when they started producing content, they got to kind of like ease into it. Like they started with one or two shows and those they produced those those came out and then they could kind of expand from there. Apple's just like we're dropping in hot with like, I don't know what the n number is, but it's like at least 10 different shows or something all at once, you know, with no, you know, the audience isn't going to see them until the services released and all these shows are out it feels like it would be very easy for them to screw this up but it's only $4.99 and people who buy like iPhones or an Apple TV will get like a year of it for free. Um, Interesting. Automatically. So it, at that price point, like all it takes is one of the shows to be like good, one that people want to watch. And like if there's one show on there that I want to watch, like $4.99, you know, I'm going to pay that easily. So And they have that same Amazon model of we can offer you services that aren't just content right, on the yeah. side. And this is this is part of the question about the the larger like streaming wars quote unquote to me uh, when looking at all these companies is you have some that don't seem maybe as practiced or experienced with producing content like maybe Amazon or Apple but those companies are also much bigger companies they don't just produce media and if they want to sort of like weather the storm like if Apple was like oh yeah we're we're in on media and we're just gonna lose money on our Apple TV plus for the next like 10 years uh, you know while everybody else dies in the firefight in global uh, warming they, right yeah they can easily do that you know they have the cash to just 
for Apple TV Plus to never make any money and still exist if that's what they want to do. Um, and presumably Amazon could do something similar because they just have so much overhead everywhere else. I mean, that's the Amazon model, right? That's how they've become as big as they are, is that they just pour tons of money into it and just get larger and larger market shares until everyone else is pushed out. And then they can become profitable, maybe down the line at some point. So we will see. Yeah, I mean, we started this podcast thinking that we weren't going to talk at all about Apple TV+. Plus. But now now that we've talked, I guess I I had more thoughts about it than I realized. <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to think about that in comparison to uh, the Peacock. Um, yes. Which is NBC Universal has the exact opposite problem. They have just a ton of infra, uh, a ton of content to push out. They don't have any of the tech know how, maybe, but they have they're already touting in their press release that they have 15,000 hours of content. They have all of Universal Pixar. Pictures, all of Focus Features and DreamWorks. They've announced a ton of new shows. Um, I'm just going to go down the list real quick. They have Dr. Death, which is based on a true crime podcast with Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, and the Fifty Shades of Grey guy, who I'm not sure if I would be super proud of that, considering his performance is <laughs> pretty widely panned, but whatever. Um, Sam Esmail, who's created Mr. Robot and uh, Homecoming for Amazon and a couple of other shows is going to be doing a Battlestar Galactica reboot. Brave New World is going to be a show. They have a new show from Mike Shore, who made The Office and Parks and Rec. They have a reboot of Saved by the Bell from the 30 Rock writers and just a bunch of other stuff. Plus, they have this huge backlog of content that includes The Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Saturday Night Live, 30 Rock Cheers, Frasier, Everybody Loves Raymond, House, Monk, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Friday Night Lights, Will and Grace. Notably, they won't have Seinfeld, which once its Hulu contract is over, is going to be moving over to Netflix. So that was a big win. half a billion. Which was a, a lot of money, but probably something that was probably worth it considering The Office is their number one show at the moment, and that will be yeah. jumping ship to the Peacock. I guess the question is, are you excited about this this line? Oh, one more thing. They also are going to be running the 2020 Summer Olympics on their, on their service, which is something that no other streaming service can uh, tout at the moment. Yeah, that's a bit. So to answer to my answer is actually kind of related to that. So looking over this lineup for me personally, looking at this stuff like this isn't really for the most part, the TV that I watch, you know, I've watched The Office, but I've seen it. I'm not a person who like rewatches it every year. And, you know, a lot of the shows that are coming out aren't, ex you know, I'm kind of like eh, mildly interested, but this is not an immediate sign up for me. This is one where I will, I mean, I might get a free trial or something just to check it out to make sure I'm informed, but I'm not like sold immediately knowing that this is going to exist. Uh, it's more one where I think I'll sit back and wait and see what people are saying. And if there's a show that, you know, is getting rave reviews that I really want to see, then I'll dive in. Uh, the exception to that might be during the 2020 Olympics. I like watching the Olympics. Um, I don't usually have like TV broadcast like or cable like set up in my house. Sure. Um, and it is a pain to watch like the Olympics or something like, like last last year, I think for the Olympics, I used a VPN and just watched like the Canadian live streams or something <laughs> um, because there's like no good way to just watch it online uh, in America or there hasn't been. I remember it when in 2016 in Rio, there were some apps like I was able to watch like some events through the I don't even know what website it was, but I was able to watch some stuff, but it was yeah. it was spotty. It was very difficult to navigate. 
It's always been super awkward and weird. So if if it if they do a good job of like basically having the main broadcast like live just available to stream as a part of Peacock, I would definitely have it, you know, at least during the Olympics just to be able to watch that easily without having to like have TV or, you know, uh, use a VPN or something like that. So, yeah. What about you? So um, to me, the, the most interesting thing about the Peacock or Peacock, I you know, what do we, what do we call it? A, a uh, aerial fauna. Uh, the most interesting thing about this is that it seems to be a real bet on the idea that people want to hang out with shows. Right. Yeah. All of the shows that they are pitching as their, you know, their backlog of content are stuff that The Office has been really successful on Netflix. Although Netflix doesn't release any of its data, it seems to be the most watched show on Netflix by multiple third party observations. And the question to me that I, I think Peacock is really going to illuminate is whether or not people are coming to these services for these hangout shows or if they already have these services and they just gravitate to the hangout stuff that's on those services. Yeah. So I'm not sure if people are going to switch over to Peacock once the office leaves or if they're just going to find their new version of the office on Netflix. Because the like you said, at some point you've seen it and maybe you need that comfort object, but maybe you just need a comfort object, you know? Right. And maybe Seinfeld takes that place if the office isn't there or something, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I like a lot of the talent that they have attached to them. Mike Schur makes consistently really good shows. The Good Place is great. Parks and Rec is great. The Office is great. Um, I love Sam Esmail. I'll watch anything that he does. But I'm kind of with you in that I'm going to maybe wait until something pops. And I think that we this is kind of a, a running trend that we're running into with a lot of these services as they get announced is kind of like a wait and see approach. And um, maybe I mean, part of me is thinking that we are the people who are supposed to go ahead and right. <laughs> scout for these. For these we're, we're supposed to be the people telling them if they need to wait and see. But um, that's that's part yeah. of the effect, I think, of of the deluge, can't say that word, deluge of content that we're seeing at this point where it's like at some point I just have to wait. I have to kind of step back and wait and see because I feel like currently I'm barely keeping up, quote unquote, with like scouting out the content that's already there that people are talking about on the services that I already have access to. Like people are going crazy about succession right now and I haven't watched it just because like it's another thing that I don't haven't had the time to just like sit down and get into. And so like the the prospect of having a whole no new you know window with like five different new things to check out i'm kind of like even being the person who's like my half my job is to sort of be on top of this stuff i'm just like it's too much and i sort of have to like pick and choose my battles you know and so it's it's really impossible to to kind of stay on top of it i guess i'll, I'll wait and see with this one the thing that i will say is that all of those shows that are that i'm calling quote unquote hangout shows are all very good like yes. the office is great Parks and Rec is great. I've heard great things about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 30 Rock is amazing. Cheers is great. Frasier is great. Everybody Loves Raymond is underrated. skipped NSL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Saturday Night Live. SNL. I just called it NSL. <laughs> Saturday Night Live definitely, you know, is good to some people. But, I mean, one of the advantages is that it's going to have the entire backlog of SNL. So you're going to be able yes, to go back yes. and find out that SNL's never really been good. Um <laughs> As opposed to just not being good now. Um, it's always just, you know, the thing about SNL is there are always a couple of good sketches. And yeah. once 
enough time has passed. You don't remember all of the misses. You only remember the hits. And you're like, oh, wasn't it so much better when they were all hits? It's like, well, you didn't have to sit through any of the crappy sketches. Anyways. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these shows are great and they definitely are going to. I mean, this is probably the best lineup of comedies that any of these that any of the streaming services is going to have. And if you are a sucker for sitcoms like I am, I I have a hard time not wanting to buy into that catalog. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> this is something else that I've been struggling with as someone else who is trying to keep up with everything is, is it even important to stay in touch with these shows that are kind of not relevant anymore? Yeah, yeah. Maybe The Office is relevant because so many people watch it on Netflix, but are they going to jump ship to, to Peacock in order to watch it? I don't know. Um, and if they jump over to watch the 2020 Olympics, are they also going to rediscover Cheers and Frasier, which have been on Netflix for a while? And I haven't really seen a, a groundswell of them regaining steam. I don't know. I have uh, one more question for you about this. So you've kind of said, I've said, this is more of a wait and see. What's the price point that they could announce on this where you go, this isn't a wait and see. I'm just definitely going to get it just to have it. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, if it was like $7.99 or under, I'll just jump on it. If yeah. it's more than that, I might... So you have to think about it. I might wait until the Summer Olympics like you or... Yeah. Um, you know, find these shows as they come out, you know, through magic um, <laughs> or or some other methods or, or, you know, wait and see if something is going to pop before I, I yeah. just jump on board. The way that we you and I do the way you and I cover TV and movies doesn't require us to be on top of things immediately as they come out. Um, right. It's certainly useful so that you don't have a ton of like backlog of stuff to catch up on. Like, for example, if you had been if you had been watching Succession from the beginning, it wouldn't feel like 20 hours of content that you need to watch now. Right. Um, yeah. Which which was an advantage that I had because I watched the first season as it came out. I didn't need to get caught up on it. Um, and as it gained steam in the second season, it was like, whatever. Um, I was already on top of it. That's another thing that we don't know about Peacock is whether they're going to be releasing stuff week to week or all at once. Um, right. Which is a common theme of this podcast. <laughs> uh, that, that I think it will be go- continuing forward as as the services continue to sort of like figure that out. Absolutely. But yeah, I think anything over seven ninety nine is going to be a wait and see for me as well, or at least a wait until the Olympics. Um, Although I do have a cable package um, because it got tacked onto my internet very easily. I also I also get my internet through Comcast. I wonder if that has anything to do with this because Comcast owns NBC Universal. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they'll if they'll be pushing bundles like right. Um, or if they'll have any kind of bundle available as, cause I'm a Comcast I get my internet from Comcast cause I have no choice. Oh, same. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have another so, choice. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, if they start pushing like, oh, Hey, you can get Peacock with your Comcast internet for five bucks, you know, or something that seems, you know, this seems like they could snag a bunch of customers that way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's something they're going to do. It's certainly not something that they've announced yet. Again, they've said that they're going details on pricing and distribution will be announced closer to launch. That's from their press release. So a lot of it is we'll wait and see. But initially, I think I'm a little more excited for it than you. But, um, you know, only marginally. I like the I like the name. I was kind of I didn't I didn't get it at first. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like so many of these services have kind of like bad names, like the king being Amazon Prime Video. That's terrible. Um, Yes. 
and then like Apple TV Plus is not very good. Which just sounds uh, Disney, like a ripoff of Disney Plus. Yeah, Disney Plus is a little bit better, but like still not a great name for like a streaming service. It's just kind of like there's nothing about the term Disney Plus that like tells me what it is. There's not really anything about Peacock that tells me what it is, but it's at least like interesting branding, which is something that like Netflix and Hulu have. They have like a brand to their service. The one thing about um, Netflix is it actually sounds like what it is. And yes. Hulu doesn't. I don't know what Hulu, Hulu sounds like, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. sound like anything. But yeah, I think it's an interesting move to kind of like actually brand themselves instead of just being like, I don't know, NV, NBC Universal Plus or like HBO Max, whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I like the name. Yeah. OK. I think that now is as good a time as any to transition to um, part of the show where we actually talk about content. Um, yes. actually talk about shows and movies. And today on the docket, we have the new Breaking Bad movie on Netflix, El Camino, uh, which we have both watched. I know that Thomas is making a video about it, and I wrote a review on Wine about it that you can find if you, you know, search. Um, <laughs> Uh, I guess I guess that one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the reason I wanted to highlight this movie is because Breaking Bad is it's kind of this this tipping point between cable television and streaming. And it kind of got the best of both worlds um, in one of the stories that I read the leading up to the release of El Camino. They talked about how AMC almost canceled Breaking Bad after the third season, but they were able to get the distribution rights onto Netflix before the fourth season came out. And they basically blew up the ratings and everything went great for Breaking Bad after that. So Netflix kind of saved Breaking Bad. And that makes sense because it's the show that really lends itself to binging. And that also makes sense why El Camino is now on Netflix. I guess before we get into what we thought about the, the movie, I'm kind of interested to, to hear how you got into Breaking Bad in the first place, because for me, I definitely Netflix was definitely a big part of that. Yeah, same. And I think that's the story for a lot of people. You know, I think one of my roommates was watching it on Netflix and I started watching it with them on Netflix until I caught up. And then we watched it together on AMC as it came out for the last like uh, season and a half or so. It's exactly um, what happened with me. Yeah. And I think that's super common. And I saw that mentioned a bunch of a bunch of times by the creators of the show in like stuff leading up to El Camino's release or just talking about like why on Netflix. And it almost it almost sounds like they feel, you know, a certain level of like gratitude or debt to Netflix for making the show into uh, into what it what it became. Yeah. Breaking Bad may be the first like really clear example we saw of sort of a the the power that a streaming service can have for a TV show that's still running. Yeah, and it's weird because it might be one of the last also. It was kind of like the we, first and maybe the last. I, I'm trying yeah, to Yeah, we might be we might be out of that transition. Yeah, I've been trying to think of other shows that might have had that kind of boom. And I've really been struggling. It's something that I know happened in the past with like Blu-ray releases, uh, like a show like The Wire didn't do that well as it was coming out. But then as people started to like buy and binge the Blu-rays, uh, like it gained popularity. The effect there is obviously like milder because that's like a harder acquisition level than just streaming something. Sure. Um, I know the same thing that, happened for Family Guy. Uh, that's basically what saved them after they got canceled. That brought them back were the, the box sets. 
um, back in yeah. the day. Um, but yeah, I can't I can't think of any shows either that would have been like sort of bridging that gap that people started binging furiously and then, you know, that led to the, you know, that led to increased viewership on the actual like channel that the show was airing on. Yeah, I mean, when you look at when you look at the ratings like graph for Breaking Bad, it's bizarre because most shows will, you know, they steadily decline in each season and maybe there's a bump during the premiere because oh, it it's it got like a bunch of buzz, oh it's about to come back, whatever. Maybe people caught up on it in the in the off season. But each season is usually like a little less than the one before. And Breaking Bad is just the exact opposite where it just is this exponential growth as it goes. And I mean, I think that obviously it's difficult to know the exact numbers because Netflix is so secretive about their ratings. But anecdotally, it seems undeniable that Netflix is a big part of that. And I do think that that's why El Camino is on Netflix. And um, I guess now is as good a time as any to jump in to El Camino and ask you, uh, what'd you think about it? I enjoyed it. It was, uh, I think, a great epilogue to the show. Um, there's a word or a sentiment that I kept seeing over and over again in different people's reviews. I think I know I where you're going with this. Included, and I agree which was like unnecessary yep or um i also saw people saying like maybe it was just unnecessary i don't know i thought i thought i saw like variants of that but maybe but basic, not as relevant or something like that yeah yeah but the basic sentiment like seemed to be like it's good and it didn't didn't take away from the show at all like it didn't detract I I think it even sort of like adds, uh, but like if you never watched El Camino, you it doesn't feel like you're missing an integral part of the Breaking Bad story, which I think I I don't know I guess that's something people were expecting. I I never thought of it that way going into it, like that I I want this to develop the story in some sort of like important or necessary way so it's interesting to see that kind of emerge as like i guess an expectation that we're all realizing we had for the show or for the movie now that we're seeing it but it's definitely it's satisfying it's enjoyable and i i don't think any breaking bad fan is like if you're a fan of the show you just watch the movie it's good yeah i don't think anyone who likes breaking bad is going to dislike el camino i like it's it's still excellently made you know there's some amazing shots in it i know that you highlighted some on twitter um earlier today the one shot from el camino where it's this overhead shot of jesse tearing apart um an apartment is uh i don't know that that one's really just stuck with me i thought that was excellent yeah and um yeah i mean it's it they do a good job of uh building tension and and it's a it's a solid movie but i think that in some ways it's really difficult to judge it on its own because it it is coming from this giant like ip device and you know we already have all of these built-in feelings about jesse and breaking bad and um <laughs> better call saul to be honest i think uh better call yeah. saul is you know there's breaking bad better call saul and el camino and i think el camino is easily the weakest of the three and that's not really fair to the movie on its own but you're never going to view it on its own anyway so maybe it is fair i don't i don't know it's a very yeah. complicated relationship and i know that i was a big breaking bad fan and i think that you were as well right yeah 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 i mean i definitely was getting excited for this movie to come out and it's really difficult 
to divorce that excitement from the actual movie. I found myself when I was writing about it, trying to think about how it would read to someone who had just finished Breaking Bad from start to finish and just jumped right into El Camino afterwards. Right. If that would make the experience of it any different. And in some ways, it's impossible for me to know because I didn't have that experience and I was never going to. Yeah. I think it's better with with a little bit of distance, with a little bit of time. Um, you know, I, I I think the ending of Breaking Bad is so powerful that like jumping straight into this afterwards would sort of like diminish that. But I think it's fine sort of coming to this like years later, like getting that little bit of like catharsis and like closure feels good after like five years. Yeah. Um, but I think that catharsis and closure would sort of like take away from the gut punch. Uh, sure. You know, if you had just just finished the show but you know like you i i obviously can't i'll be able to let you know in maybe like a year <laughs> yeah after because my wife and i are watching better call saul and she hasn't seen breaking bad oh uh, and our plan is to watch breaking bad together once better call saul is over or at the point which better call saul meets up with breaking bad um which is complicated we'll yes so we'll see how that goes, but that's the that's the plan. Uh, that's how she wants to do it, and then I'm assuming we'll just watch El Camino as soon as we finish Breaking Bad. So in a, like a year or so, or whenever all that is finished, I'll be able to let you know what it's like for somebody <laughs> who watches the movie right after they finish the show. Um, but yeah, I don't know that at this point. I'm sure there's some people out there who have done it, so maybe they can weigh in. I, so I guess yeah, check back in episode 25 for that that take. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that this would have been do you think it would have been better to do El Camino as a mini series or a limited series or one season of television as opposed to, you know, a two hour mega episode? Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting idea. Um I don't think I would have heard anything to do it that way. You know, I know some of reading, reading like some of the behind the scenes stuff, Vince Gilligan's interest in this was like definitely partly in the movie aspect. Like this was his feature film debut. For sure. And he was apparently like interested in, in stepping into that world. And I think he did a great job of it. I was very interested to see like how does Breaking Bad sort of translate into like a film. And I think this works as a film and but it's still very Breaking Bad. You still have some like time lapse transitions and you still have a montage and you still have the sort of like procedural very logical like progression in the writing that we see like with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul right um but it like it works as a movie like it has a good arc and a structure even though I don't think it would like really work for somebody who hasn't seen the shows as a movie you know I think it's a fine movie uh and and you were you were saying it's sort of the most um what did you say of the three? Oh, I just said it was the weakest the, of the three. It's the weakest. And I think I, I would say it's not the weakest technically. Like technically it's up to the standard of all three, in my opinion. But it, sure. the, like in terms of the overall story, like it feels like an add on, whereas Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad are sort of these more like essential, you know, like this, there's there's weight to the story. Um, and this feels like bonus. Yeah, it's it's interesting because after Breaking Bad ended, maybe like a year or two later, if you pitched 
the idea of making a show about Jesse, Jesse's life after Breaking Bad, or a prequel about the the small side character of Saul Goodman. I don't think that anyone would have thought that the Saul Goodman one would be better um, as a story. Right. Yeah. But I think that it I think that it has been. And I think part of that is because and uh, this is not necessarily uh, my original idea. I think I, I I probably picked it up somewhere in reading and listening to uh, other people talk about the, the movie. So apologies for not <laughs> citing it correctly. But I think that it almost ends where you kind of want where you start to get really curious about Jesse. Like what is being in uh, yeah. spoilers? He ends up out of Albuquerque. And, um, you know, what is what does life end up for him like that? Can he really start over? And those are kind of questions that I'm interested in um, and would have been an interesting thing to start to uh, experience. But, you know, that's kind of where it ends. It's it, it ends exactly where Breaking Bad ends, but on a different emotional. Beat. Exactly. Like it's big spoilers, literally a shot of him driving away. But this time, instead of sort of manically laughing and crying and escaping a compound, he's sort of more contentedly, you know, he he's found freedom again, but in a different way than he does at the end of Breaking Bad. And he's literally driving off into Alaska. So it's like it's the same beat, but with a slightly different emotional like tenor to it yeah um and so yeah it it doesn't really push things that far forward in a sense um in terms of the actual story we just get to see a little bit more you know of that like end beat of breaking bad i think that's i think that's what people are getting at when they say that it's un that it was unnecessary yeah is that yeah it doesn't really develop jesse's character at all it doesn't really give us a new angle on him it doesn't really push the story forward. It's just kind of, um, I think that in some ways this kind of feels fanservice-y in the way that they brought in, you know, Walt and other kinds of cameos and flashbacks and other sort of things, which I think that if you were walking into the movie, you knew was going to happen. But I think that all of those things kind of not pushing anything forward or really saying anything new while fun and it looks great. We're kind of like, I don't really know what to do with this. You know, like, yeah, I kind of think that it just is in one ear out the other to some extent. This is maybe fan service at, at its best. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Like, I don't know if it really like it's its best quality is that it, it's it's fan service and it's doing that like really well. Like as a fan, I felt service <laughs> and like like I enjoyed that like two hours. There's nothing wrong with that, um, you know. But yeah, I don't I don't know that it really like escapes that um, fully, uh, you know, which is, I guess, a little bit unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm content to have, you know, gotten it. And I, I watched it twice because I'm working on a video for it. And Vince Gilligan is just such a brilliant writer. And like, I noticed more of that, like uh, going back through it the second time, like there's so many little things in this that like, I'm just happy to see like more of just him working on stuff. Um, you, you know, obviously we're getting better call Saul, but like anything that's more Vince Gilligan at this point, I'll be content with because like, I just, I love the way he writes things. There's so many little details in this that are just sort of like brilliant and amazing. Um, like in, in the scene, in the flashback scene where Todd and Jesse are like sitting in the kitchen and Todd is talking about how he needs to find a new like place for his money. Right. Uh, I didn't realize until watching it the second time that he's sitting looking right at the refrigerator and he basically kind of like points at it. Oh, okay. And um, you, like you would never notice that the first time you're watching it because you don't know that's where the money's going to end up at. But he does that and just so many little things like that are like all throughout the movie that there's a certain like immaculate 
quality to how he structures things, even if on like a broader macro scale, the story didn't like completely blow me away or or sort of elevate itself beyond fan service. I love just the structure of things and and how um you know how it plays out from scene to scene. Uh, but that's just me being a, a fanboy of Vince Gilligan. So <laughs> he, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely a master of his craft, you know. And I think that in some ways, um, I made a video about Better Call Saul that was kind of about how Better Call Saul is a study of people who are masters of their craft. I think that's something that Gilligan is like intensely focused on and in both Better Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, whether it's spending these like really cool montages and thinking out every single bit of the process of cooking meth or doing uh, committing like bank fraud or, you know, stealing something or whatever else that that just seems to really be his the thing that he's most interested in. And in some ways is reflected on the way that we watch him, like the more hardcore fans watch him and studying every single minute detail um, because they all do matter. They are they all are interesting. So part of part of what interests me about this, um, and maybe this should have gone before the what we think about uh, the actual movie portion. I, I have the ability um, to change that. So we might we might have to move it around, but we'll see. Uh, but part of what interests me about El Camino is sort of this like weird blurring that's beginning to happen with streaming services and with TV and with movies. Um, and I think El Camino is like a really good uh, sort of marker of this or like case study um, where like we're starting to see a breakdown of like this is a movie that will exist on a streaming platform as a sort of epilogue to uh, a TV show, but it will also have a very short theatrical run. And th- those lines getting blurred and the the coexistence of kind of movies and TV together on a lot of these streaming platforms seems to be adding to this sort of like larger cultural blurring of the the forms that seem to be happening where you know in some ways the marvel movies are taking on features that would in in how connected and extended everything is right uh they're learning things from how tv would be done and taking it and applying it to films that are in theaters and then there's also this space for sort of TV to become more like a film. You look at something like Fleabag and it's a TV show, but you could easily structure it almost as a movie. It's it's like movie length. Right. The, I, the, yes. Yes. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It, the or, or at least the like the level of production that would need to go into it is closer to like making a movie than than making an entire season of a show uh, would have been traditionally. And so I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in I don't I don't know if if El Camino says anything about that specifically, but it's something I'm kind of keeping an eye on in the space and like how those things interrelate. And I think it's important to streaming platforms because a lot of them have both movies and TV and and streaming platforms aren't just a way to consume TV as it comes out, but they seem to be like a holding place uh, for movies. And so they they play a role in that. And looking at the promotional material uh, going up to the release of El Camino, I saw people who were leaving comments like time to resubscribe to Netflix on like the El Camino trailer. Um, and so I'm also interested in like the power of a single movie versus even like, hmm. you know, an entire show to like get somebody back onto a platform to maybe resubscribe to their service just so that they can see like literally one two hour piece of content. So, yeah, I don't I don't I, those are preliminary thoughts that I was thinking about 
as El Camino was happening. And I just want to sort of like throw those out there because I think they might there might be more to that discussion as streaming platforms develop and change over time. Yeah, I think that that's actually a great place to end is um, how these line how streaming is really blurring the lines of TV and film. And definitely the Marvel movies have been an example of the highest budget television show maybe ever um, or certainly ever. And it's only going to get more and more blurry as all of that stuff moves on to Disney Plus and they start releasing some of the Avengers into their own spinoff TV series and and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't I don't think anybody has an answer right now, but definitely something to keep an eye on. It's part of, I think, maybe like one of my like larger theses theses about like uh, streaming TV or streaming services, which is that like it's a new form. It's not just TV on the Internet and then movies on streaming platforms aren't just movies on the Internet. Like it's a new third form that's very similar to television, very similar to movies. Um, but I think we'll continue to see it develop in an interesting way as sort of just like its own thing. Um, so keeping an eye on that and seeing how that happens. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great point. And that's a great thing to think about and to to ponder as we, you know, watch more TV. Um, <laughs> uh, where can they find you and, and what kind of stuff you have anything to plug uh, today? I'm Thomas Flight on YouTube and Twitter. And uh, I will if you if you want to see my El Camino video uh, is going to be coming out on the Netflix UK and Ireland YouTube channel. So if you want to see that, follow me on Twitter because I'll post it there once it's available to watch. Cool, cool. Can't wait. Um, and you can uh, find me and skip intro on YouTube and um, I'm also on Twitter, but it's less important. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back in about a, about a month. Sounds good. Mm-hmm.